that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 459 for October 13th, 2016. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchotts back yet again for another exciting episode of Programming by Stealth. I think we're up to 23, aren't we, Bart? We are indeed. 23 of X. All right. Lots of fun stuff today. I wonder what X will be. Stay tuned I- to find out. <laughs> I think you might be staying tuned for a while. There's quite a bit to go. Yay. I am having so much fun with this. This is, uh, I'm even having fun doing the homework. So, you know, I'm teaching pet, right? Yeah, true. They have bought me an apple. What's that? Oh, I haven't. You haven't? Yeah, you're right. No. Well, you got enough apples around there. Ah. That's a fair point. <laughs> All right. Where are we going to start? Okay. So let's start, I guess. Uh, actually, before we start, start. I want to mention something that I haven't put in the show notes because I've sort of cheated a bit and I've retroactively edited last week's show notes. Oh. Um, so last week I made you write in all the gloopity gloop, like C data and stuff, uh, yeah. which which is to make old browsers happy. And listener Jill emailed me going, you know something, the only old browser left is IE6. And I thought you didn't care about IE6. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> now that Edge uh, is out. Well, not just now that Edge is out, IE8 is fine. I, you know, it's it's just a really, really legacy stuff. So while it, while what I, you know, while the C data thing was was correct, it's it's probably overkill now. It doesn't do any harm, right? Because it's commented out with JavaScript comments in front of it, so it doesn't do any harm, including those commented out C datas. But it it's just an effort, so don't bother. Ah, so I can get rid of my text expander snippet. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you can. Um, Unless you're writing something for old browsers, then you might consider it. But really, if you are, then you're probably going to have trouble with all sorts of other stuff. So, yeah, no, just forget about it. Um, (laughs) And HTML5, I think, see, I I was halfway through arguing with Jill, and then I was like, no, she's right. Um, (laughs) And it occurred to me, I have said at the start of this series that we're aiming, we're doing HTML5, and we're not bothering with all the legacy stuff. Oh, So. We're doing HTML5 and not bothering with all the legacy stuff, then all that C data junk is junk. So it doesn't matter. Well, so okay. you just get rid of that habit. Don't don't develop that habit. We're doing we're doing HTML five and we don't care. All right. Uh, well, that's great. Then we get to uh move forward in time, huh? We do indeed. And actually, uh, you see the thing is if you were to properly support old browsers, then there's a similar hack you do for CSS that also involves C datas and CSS comments. And I didn't do that one with you because then I still remembered that we were doing HTML5. <laughs> so I was scrolling through my code going, style, no C data rubbish. Script, C data rubbish. Oh, yeah, no. So let's not do that. Oh, okay. So good, I've good, edited good. them out of last week's show notes and they're gone from this week's show notes as well. Oh, and I wanted to tell the audience, I found something uh, really, really slick. Um, I, it was a tip actually on the Daily Tech News show that somebody called in to Tom Merritt. If you go to citymapper.com and go to the console, there's a JavaScript game in there as a, a jQuery game, I should say, in there as a, a little Easter egg. It's a, a text-based adventure game. That is rather sweet and rather a waste of bandwidth. So on the one hand, I think, oh, isn't it great? And on the other hand, I'm thinking, no, what the well, no wonder the web is bloated. It's got games hidden in it. <laughs> well, it's text-based, Bart. Yeah, but someone's got to have written a whole bunch of if statements. You know, if they type this, do that. If they type this, do that. It can't be nothing. <laughs> Still, it was adorable. And, it is and very I was adorable. I so excited that I knew what, knew what it was. And also, the, oh. they have the um, 
the little the, the the ASCII characters for smiley faces and stuff, so it even smiles at you. It's oh. very pretty. I haven't succeeded anything. I'm stuck in a corner on it, so I gave up. But anyway. <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's let's have a look at last week's challenge. So I guess the first question is, do you have working blinky blinky stuff? I do. I do. I have to admit that I uh I need a little help from you uh on a couple of pieces, but uh got through it. And uh, did yeah. it both ways. And I had sent you a note saying I thought it wasn't working right. And I thought the other one was working a different way was why I was confused. I thought it was supposed to blink by itself. And then you click to stop and start. But it doesn't blink and you start and stop. So it was working Correct. all along. Boy, I worked a long time trying to get that to work when it was already oh. <laughs> So just to remind people, the challenge was basically I'd, I'd given you some HTML, which already contained some paragraphs and some stuff. And a CSS class already had some styles called dot highlighted. And what I wanted you to do was write a function called toggle blinking. And when when it wasn't blinking, it should start blinking every second. So basically putting the class highlighted on and off the paragraphs every second. And then every time you click, it should either turn off, it will turn on if it was off and turn off if it was on. So you have a mixture there of click handlers and timeouts or intervals, as <sighs> JavaScript calls them. Right. So, you know, there was a, a fair bit going on there. So you had, uh, you know, you had the page document ready handler being used to create a click handler on every paragraph. And then the click handler was starting and stopping intervals. So a lot going on there. But I thought an appropriate level of difficulty. It was it right. wasn't insurmountable. It was a big hill for me, but it didn't make me feel like, ah, forget it. I'm never going to get it. Yeah, and it was, uh, let me see, it's from line 14 to line 37, so 23 lines of code. Including, including comments. comments. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's about the bite-sized chunk I'm capable of, with yeah, well, help we're, from the teacher. We're, we're taking a slightly bigger bite next time, but you're going to be well-motivated. Okay, I was, I was trying to reward you for that, hoping you would keep them easy. <laughs> no, because I'm, I'm rewarding you in a different way, so our assignment, I'm going to tell you now what the assignment is, because we need to lay some foundations. Basically, I'm telling you what we're trying to get to, and then we're going to get to it in the next hour. Okay. So... The assignment for next time is going to be to create some code which will search through a website or through a page, because that's, that's, that's the atom, find every link, and then for each link, figure out whether it's a link within your site or leaving your site. And if it's leaving your site, to inject target equals underscore blank and rel equals no opener and to append a little icon after the link to show the fact that it's going to open in a new tab. Oh, that sounds fun. Is it going to check fun. to make sure that we already knew that it, or what about the ones that already had target underscore blank? It will leave those alone. Okay. <laughs> Only so if I the assumption would be, correctly. <laughs> yeah, so the assumption would be that if you went to the bother of putting it into the markup, who am I to second guess you? Yeah, yeah. So that that's sort of the logic there. So in order to, to arrive at that being a viable um target of a, 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 a you know something you can conceivably achieve we have five snippets of learning to do so we need to learn how to use jquery not just to change what is in the page but to actually add in stuff because if we're going to insert an icon well we got to insert so we're, we're adding new content into the page that uh -huh. wasn't there when jquery started so we don't know how to do that yet so we got to learn how to do that um that's actually a two-step process. So first you build the element and then you stuff it into the page. So the element when you build it at first is basically in a parallel universe. It exists in the JavaScript, but it is not visible anywhere. 
And then you inject it into the page and then it becomes visible. So it's kind of fun. Uh, we also need the ability to loop through every single link and analyze them individually. So far, we've been doing the same change to everything we select. So we've been doing things like p.addClass, where every paragraph has the same thing done to it. But in this case of the links, we actually want to analyze each one one by one. So that's a loop rather than just do the same thing. It's run this function against each one to make you know to decide what to do. So it's it's looping rather than just identically do the same thing to each. Right, so we, right. we, okay. we don't know how to do that yet. Like so we if learn that. she's already put it on there, then we don't want to do this. Exactly. So yeah. what do we what don't yeah, so each one needs to be analyzed. So we need to iterate our way through all the links. Um I'm also going to teach you a little trick that allows us to an inc to include an image in a web page without ever having an image file. Oh, come on. That's sorcery. <laughs> it is sorcery, and it's really useful sorcery to know because it allows you to give someone JavaScript code that includes icons and things without having to say, so you've got to download this file and put this folder here and put that folder there. You can just give them copy-paste JavaScript code, and it will have icons. Uh -huh. A very useful thing to be able to do. And then the last thing I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a very brief intro to something called URI.js, mm. which is JavaScript library whose sole raison d'etre is to basically analyze and alter links. So if we're going to figure out if a link goes to your site or to another site, well, we need to, under, we need to break that link apart and look at its innards. Ah. And rather than writing our own regular expressions, which is painful, we're going to use URI.js to do the heavy lifting for us. Cool. And... I want I want to add why we why Allison cares about this and maybe you do as well if you're doing any web development was there's a, uh, a, a rather obscure uh, attack vector let's call it that looks for uh, target underscore blank and if you put this rel equals no opener at the end of it then it gets rid of that problem that's why we were yeah. why we were interested in that exactly and it's it's an it's an obscure issue that's difficult for it's not easy to exploit but it's also not a non-issue so it's better to have the rel equals no opener yeah yeah why not i mean exactly. i've added it to my text expander snippet so from going forward it would be there but to be able to go back and fix all of them on my sites uh, that's a pretty slick thing um there you go there, there you go the other thing i just wanted to say very briefly about uh i've started to notice um regular expressions everywhere it's sort of like when they you are a car, everywhere. you realize everybody else, a bunch of people have the same car. I can't remember what I got, but it was it was something completely unrelated to anything we're doing. And I looked at the form of this thing. I go, those are regular expressions. I recognize that. I was all excited. Yep. Yep. They're everywhere. All they right. really are. Okay. Uh, and the, I have an ulterior motive. Well, not an ulterior motive. I have a dual motive for teaching you about URI.js. A, we need it to achieve our goal. And B, it's the perfect example of what I would, the way I would like everyone to start thinking. Don't reinvent the wheel. If you're solving a problem that seems likely someone else has solved already, go to the Googles and find a well-trusted, well-recommended open source library that does what you want. And if you go searching for JavaScript interpret URL, it will take you no time at all to realize that URI.js is, is that you know, leading candidate in, in this day and age. Right. Oh, by the way, we didn't go through the details of how to solve the challenge, but of course, Bart does have his solution online. 
I have my solution online for you to, to, to look over. And also the usual caveat applies. There's an infinity of possible correct answers. If your code works but isn't the same as mine, your code is absolutely fine. What matters is that it works. Right. Okay, so let's let's get stuck in on, on the first of our five to-dos. How do we create a new HTML element out of whole cloth and then use it in our web pages? So as a reminder, I've already said that in jQuery, the same function is often, it's called overloading a function, where the same function does different things depending on which arguments you give it. So we already know that the dollar function does, we already know about four things the dollar function does depending on the arguments. If you give the dollar function an argument, that, uh, a, a string that contains a CSS selector as its only argument, it will go through the whole document and find all matching elements. For example, dollar $A will find all A elements. Dollar $P we use in the example to find all paragraphs and so mm -hmm. forth. So if you give the dollar, uh, the dollar function a CSS selector as a string as the only argument, that's its behavior. If you give it a CSS selector as its first argument and another jQuery object as its second argument, then it will restrict the search to the content of the second object. And we saw that where if you're only looking for A's inside P's, you might have dollar $A, dollar $P, close friends, close friends. Um, again, that looks better in the show notes than me saying it out loud. Um, <laughs> We also learned that if you pass the dollar function a, a an actual DOM element, it will convert it, it will upgrade it to a jQuery element that or jQuery object that represents the same thing. So we see this with the dollar this in all of our callbacks. So that's a third way of using the dollar function. And then last time we met a fourth way of using the dollar function, which is if you pass it a callback as its only argument, then it will execute that callback when the DOM becomes ready. So dollar function will run that function when the DOM becomes ready. So that's four different ways of using the dollar function already. And now I'm going to give you a fifth. Hmm. If you call the dollar function and you give it as an argument, as its only argument, a string that contains an HTML tag, so not a string that contains a CSS selector, but a string that starts with open angle bracket, then it will make you one of those. So if you wanted to make an H1 tag with the text A header, you could say dollar, open quote, angle bracket H1, slash angle bracket. So in other words, an opening and closing H1 altogether, dot text A header, that will create an H1 tag, which contains the text A header. Okay, I'm going to stop you for a second because I still mm -hmm. get uh, confused as to when something's a CSS selector and when something's an HTML selector. So A is usually got a left angle bracket next to it. So without the left angle bracket, it's a CSS selector. And if it had the angle bracket, it would be an HTML selector? An HTML tag. Okay, tag. HTML Sorry. tag. HTML tag. So th the letter A can be either one. Well, the letter A on its own, with, with nothing else around, it will be a CSS selector. Angle bracket A space href, blah, 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 angle bracket, some text, angle bracket, slash A, angle bracket, that will be an HTML tag. Okay, what about what about just H1 by itself without the angle brackets? Then it will be a CSS selector. Good. Oh, no wonder I'm confused. Got it. Okay, so if you see the angle brackets, it's the tag. Okay. So that is, that that is how jQuery decides what you mean. If it starts with an angle bracket, ah, he, they mean some HTML, and if it, starts, if, if it starts with anything else other than an angle bracket jQuery will go, oh, okay, you'd like me to use this as a CSS selector. Okay. So 
you so basically once you do the dollar with the with the html tag you have created a an element which doesn't exist in any web page but it still exists and then you can apply all the jquery functions to it so dot text to set its content or dot atter so for example we have one there var dollar my link equals dollar start string angle bracket a space slash angle bracket end quote dot text my homepage dot atter href and then my link that mm. will create a link which says my homepage and goes to bartb.ie yeah. So all the stuff that we've been doing before, you can now do to this element that at the moment doesn't actually show up anywhere, but it does exist. And then we have something that we can implant into the web page. So step one is to build the element, and that's just the dollar function. Uh, depending on your preference. So either you can give it just the name of the tag in the angle brackets and then use the jQuery functions to give it text and attributes. Or you can type it out in full and say img space src equals quote x dot png quote space alt equals quote an image quote space title equals. So you'll see that I have two lines that do the exact the same thing in the two different ways. And which you think works best is really a matter of personal preference. Oh, I thought that was going to be a test. And I was going to say, well, one is probably a little more efficient than the other. But if it reads correctly to, you, to use the other one, then you should. Whatever your brain likes, I would go with. Personally, I, I'm the second option. So I will just make the tag and then use this, the jQuery functions to, to give it its properties. But you will also see the other way, and it, it is perfectly legal, perfectly valid code. So pick one. Bear in mind that I will be using the second of those two notations throughout my examples. So let me ask a question. Why would you be creating an HTML link in this way using jQuery? Why would one do that? Okay, so you can imagine that the page the page just loads and it does it just contains some basic content and then you're using jQuery to maybe add in some extra stuff. So maybe you might say that wherever you see the name Allison, I want you to create some I want the, the when the document loads, I'd like a little popover to be loaded so that when the mouse hovers over the word Allison, a new little box will appear and inside that box will be a picture of Allison and a little bio. Well, all of that has to be built before it can appear. It's not in the HTML. You're building it up afterwards. Okay. Okay. Or maybe so like you a often... link to, like, you type in your phone number wrong, and there's a link to a little pop-up that says, hey, could you put it with parentheses around it? Something like that? Sure, something like that, yeah. Okay. So you might also get it on form validation, where it, where it, it yeah. gives you some sort of message to say no. Or very often you might see the, with, with credit cards when you're looking for CVV2 numbers, it might have a little link you can click on to explain what the sudden hell a CVV2 number is. <laughs> right. right. So anytime something... The sites that don't tell you that just go wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're great. I was on one of those today trying to put in a phone number. Couldn't, couldn't you just put a little thing that told me what format you want? I'll do it every one. Just, just tell me. Yeah, show me. Show yeah. me and I'll obey. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Okay, so whichever way we create these elements, we then have a, an element in limbo, right? The element exists, but is in a parallel universe or out of this universe in subspace or something. It's not in the page. It's just a JavaScript variable. And the next thing you need to do is inject it into the page. And the way you do that is by using jQuery to select an existing element in the page. And then you call one of four functions. Dot before will stick your new thing before the thing you've picked. Dot after will stick it after. 
dot prepend will stick it inside the existing element at the front so it becomes the first child or dot append will stick it inside but as the last child hmm. so basically you How choose where so that you can tell what they mean i'm i'm unfamiliar with that in so far in this series Jake, as we get into the more advanced bits of jQuery, you'll find that happening more. So, so click far, was pretty it. well named. Yeah. Right? Click was pretty well named. Uh, before, after, prepend, append, they're well named. And yeah. we'll, we'll come across some more well named ones. Yay. So let's, let's do a little example to put this into action. So let's say that we have an HTML page which contains some text. It's good at Laura Mispum or Ripsum or whatever you pronounce that. Uh, and what I would like to do is at the is when the page loads to count the letters and then put a little tag into the bottom of the page to say the paragraphs above contain blah number of characters. Okay. So basically a letter count because that's easier than a word count. So the first thing I will say is how do we know how many letters are contained within the paragraphs on the page? Well, the dot text function in jQuery will give us the pure text inside a tag. So $p dot text will get all paragraphs and then convert them to plain old text. So strip out all of those angle brackets and stuff and give us just the text. And then that will be a string. So on a string, how do you know how long a string is? Because it's a dot length. You give it a dot length on the string. So var num. Spaces? Yes. Text would, the text thing would count spaces. Okay. Yes, it would. This is a very naive character count. Well, I don't know if you've got a if you got a little form you're filling out and it says 140 characters, those spaces yeah, okay. count. So that is true, actually. Yeah. Okay. No, that's fine then. Yeah. Then maybe not so naive. Yeah. Certainly scientifically accurate. <laughs> if it is a character, I shall count it. Right. Um. So that that's very straightforward. But there we go. So var numcars equals dollar p dot text dot length. So then the next step would be to create a new tag. Now, I said to, to make it an aside tag because that, you know, in HTML5, the aside tag is for something that's about the page but not relevant to the page. Or sorry, not, you know, the, it's an aside, right? Like you'd say in English, it's, it's, not, it's not part of the page's content, but it's is related. just to so give the web browser some information? It, it yes. doesn't change what it looks like or how it functions. It's just to say this is an aside. Correct. It's semantic markup. Okay. Like a P is a part, yeah. So it's basically, yeah, you're saying what it is. Aside, yeah, main is another one of these HTML5 types. Yeah, yeah, okay. Those kind of ones. So I'm just saying var, now, I've told you earlier on, but I want to re-emphasize. So whenever I make a variable that's going to hold a jQuery object, I name it with a dollar. So I'm saying var dollar aside equals. So wait, wait, then, wait. So you just said it was an aside tag, but we're going to call the variable dollar aside. Yeah, I like to name things what they are. Okay, but that's not the tag. That's the variable. That's just a variable name. It could be dollar boogers. Okay. Uh, always a good reference. Okay. Yes. All right. So var dollar aside equals, and then this is the bit that's important. So the dollar function we're calling with the string angle bracket aside space slash angle bracket. In other words, opening and closing aside tag. Okay. So that gives us a completely empty aside tag to which I then apply the dot text function and I write the string parens, the paragraphs above contain space, and then I end the string, and then I have a plus character to concatenate, and I concatenate in our variable numcars, and then I concatenate again to the string space characters close parens. Hmm. 
So in other words, that is going to be an aside tag that says what we wanted to say, which is the paragraph above contains some number of characters. So in order to inject that into the, as the last thing on the page, I would say dollar body dot append dollar aside. Yes. Yes. That yeah. will make it the last child of the body tag. In other words, the very bottom of the page. Okay. Uh, so we can see that in action, pbs23a.html is that in context. So to make it all work, I have to call all of that code from within the event handler for the DOM becoming ready. So you'll see line 14, we have dollar anonymous function, then the three snippets of code we've looked at, and end our anonymous function. So there has to be a function because we're, we need something to run after the, the DOM loads. Yes, and it's an anonymous function because we really couldn't be bothered naming it. Sure. We just want this to happen. We don't really want to give it a name. A just do this when unnamed. the DOM loads. Those functions who shall not be named. Yes, like you're, so, you're really important to the working of the page, but we really couldn't be bothered naming you. Go back in the corner. Poor thing. Um, we've also put, just for completeness, we've put a... Um, a little bit of CSS to style the asides tag so that it, it looks, it doesn't, basically it looks like it's not part of the page. So we've had color, dim, gray, font style, italic. So that will make it sort of tune out a bit. So it will look a little bit different to the rest of the page. Okay. So if you load that page, you'll see the HTML does not contain anything after the last paragraph. But when we load the page, whoa, that content has been injected by our event handler. And it says the paragraphs above contain 1,704 characters. Unless somebody added boogers to it, in which case it went up by some. Hey, wait a minute. Did you say 1704? 1704, yes. I typed in boogers and it went up to 1706. Um, you, um, something. No, I just typed boogers right after bland it, the last word in the first paragraph. That's hmm. curious. Curious. No idea why. Three, four, five, six, and I'll save. Now it says it's seventeen oh five characters. I don't think <laughs> it's doing what you think it's doing. Yeah, close enough. Anyway, the the point is we've injected content at the bottom of the page. That's sort of what I wanted to do, yeah. and it certainly has done that. Well, okay, something very definitely strange is going on. I deleted the junk I added, and now it's down to 1698, which makes sense because I subtracted six characters. Very odd. Okay, we'll figure that out later. But yeah, yes. oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, so we have created an element, and we have appended it to the body tag. Therefore, it appears on the page. Yeah. Neato. Okay. So let's move on to the second of our things to do, which is looping through... A jQuery object. So a jQuery object represents one or more HTML elements. So if you say $P and there's 20 paragraphs on the page, then the, the resulting object contains 20, re represents 20 paragraphs. Oh, okay. Okay, right. So if we want to iterate over them, there is a jQuery function called .each. And .each expects a callback. And it will run the callback once for everything it contains. And when it does so, the current thing being analyzed, for want of a better term, is available to you as $this. Hmm. So again, following our standard pattern with jQuery within an, within an anonymous function, $this 
will be what you think it is. Hmm. So let's update our example. So it's going to do everything it did already, which is stick the total count at the very bottom of the page. But it's also going to stick a subtotal at the end of every paragraph. And that means it will be different for every paragraph because every paragraph is a different length. Okay. Therefore, we need to loop through each one. So the snippet of code here to do, to do that bit of the work starts off $P to get all the paragraphs. Then you say dot each. And then you pass it an anonymous function that contains the work we want to do. Okay. So just for ease of use, I always take $this and save it to a variable that makes sense. So I say var $P equals $this. Okay. So now I know I'm dealing with a paragraph uh, just for myself, and then I can work away. So var num cars equals $p dot text dot length. Mm -hmm. So same trick we've done before. Then we say var $count equals, and we're creating a whole new tag that didn't exist before. So I'm saying dollar, and then the string, angle bracket, span, and then close out the span tag. So space slash angle bracket. And then I'm saying dot add class car underscore count. So I'm giving it a CSS class so that I can style it. And then I'm saying dot text. This paragraph contains concatenated with num characters, concatenated with the word characters. So again, we're doing the same thing we did before. And then we're saying dollar P, which is our paragraph, dot append dollar count. So I'm sticking the count as the last thing inside the paragraph. Um... Okay. Oh, 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 right, right, right. So we were just defining our variables as P, num characters, and count, and then the append is what actually puts it in there. Yes, so we're figuring out how much, figuring out what we want the text to be, then we're actually creating the span, and then we're injecting the span into the page, and that's going to be the general structure of these things. Figure out what you want, build your element, shove it into the DOM. Figure out what you want, build your element, shove it in. The only thing, I, I've never been clear on what the heck span is. You may have explained it, but I've never been... It is a generic tag which has no effect on how things look, <laughs> but it allows you to, no, but it allows you to, to put a CSS class onto a part of a paragraph. Oh. No wonder I didn't know what they were, because they didn't seem to do anything, but if I wasn't looking at CSS, I wouldn't have noticed that. Okay. Correct. So in this case, we want the counts to stand out, or rather actually to fade away a little, so they don't distract too much from the paragraph. Therefore, I'm giving them the, the CSS star, a class, car count, which in our full example, which is pbs23b.html, you'll see that I've added a, in the CSS dot car count. So the class car count is color, dim, gray, font, size, font style, italic. Hmm. Yeah. So I, now I've also slightly tweaked our code from before so that our aside code is there. But I've also put in a dot add class car count. So okay. the same class is now applied to the aside at the bottom of the page and to the spans at the end of each paragraph. So the overall page is exactly the same as our last one, but we have some extra lines of code. So we do the overall count, and only then do we 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 have to do the per we have, sorry, we have to do the overall count first, because otherwise our per paragraph Otherwise, our overall count will be wrong if we did the paragraph counts first, because they're all characters. Oh, <laughs> right, right, right. Right, and so we'd be completely ruining our maths. Yeah. So we do the total first, and then I inject the subtotals into each paragraph. Okay. And again, everything is done inside that dollar, dollar anonymous function so that it happens when the DOM becomes ready, because otherwise there are no paragraphs, and the count will be zero. 
and there'll be nowhere to put it. Well, I guess there's always a body, but you know what I mean. So if you run that page, you'll see that we now have a little, this paragraph contains 611 characters. This paragraph contains 688 characters. This paragraph contains 405 characters. So you'll see that the, the, the each function is executed once for every paragraph and it gets a different count every time as, as it should. So we're basically looping over the paragraphs. So yeah, that looks that looks good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we're building up here, right? We're getting we're, we're doing some cool stuff here. So let's take things to the next level and let's inject an image without using an image file. So the mechanism for this is something called a data URL, and this is a URL where you don't point it at something; you actually put the data into the URL. So the URL is the data instead of the URL being a pointer to where to go fetch the data, which is a rather perverse idea. So the very first thing on any URL is called the scheme, and it comes before the colon. So we're used to seeing two very common schemes, HTTP and HTTPS. You might also see an FTP as a scheme. So HTTP colon, HTTPS colon. So that tells you what the scheme is. Well, there's a scheme called data, so it's data, colon. And the rules are as follows. Now, the, the, the spec is a little broader than what we're going to use, but for as far as we're concerned, the part of the spec we need says that the, a data URL takes the following form. The word data, the symbol colon, followed by a mime type, our good old friend the mime type is back, followed by a semicolon, followed by the word base64, <laughs> comma, and then the data. And the data should be base64 encoded, as you might have imagined. So the MIME type for an image would be image slash JPEG or image slash PNG. And then you just got to you got to find out what its actual data is. So how do you do that? Well, the answer is there's a terminal command called uuencode, which will tell you the base64 encoding of a file. So it's basically uuencode minus m and then the name of the file, and then it forces you to give it a remote name. This remote name has no bearing whatsoever when we're using it in, for our purposes. So you are free to use the word boogers as the second argument. <laughs> so, so the way I'm reading it, it says uuencode space dash m space, and then you have capital in underscore file. Is that so, okay, the stuff in capitals is you want to replace. So in file is going to be your input file, and then remote name is going to be anything. Okay. So as a real worked example, if I have a file called tag-hash.png, I would say uuencode minus m tag-hash.png buggers, or test, or blah. And that will produce output that you see here. So the first line is a header, which just says begin base 64, space 755, space boogers. We ignore the top line. The last line is four equal signs. We ignore the bottom line. Everything between those two, so from lines 2 to 28, is the data. So we copy and paste that. We take out the backslash characters. Sorry, the, not the backslash, the new line characters. We put it all onto one horrible line, and that is our URL. Wow. It looks horrible, right? But the thing is, in JavaScript, you shove it into a variable and you never look at it again. <laughs> okay. Right? So var my image equals, you know, data colon image slash png semicolon base sixty four comma paste. So don't turn on soft wrap in your editor. 
No. Well, you can, but you have to scroll a bit. <laughs> so okay. as an example, let's tweak our last example to put a little icon next to those counts. So instead of having the text this paragraph contains, we'll just put an icon that should be enough to tell people that it's a count. And the icon is the tag hash dot PNG and then the number. So I've created a variable called var count icon URL equals start the string data colon image slash PNG semicolon base 64 comma paste. Giant pile of End glass. the string and a semicolon. It's a long line. That scroll bar is small. But doesn't matter, right? It's correct data and JavaScript will, will use it just fine. So it works. So then we've tweaked our code a bit. So we say, you know, var dollar, dollar p equals dollar this, just like we did before. We say num characters equals dollar p dot text dot length, just like we did before. Then we create var dollar count. We make a new span. So dollar angle bracket span space slash angle bracket dot add class car count. And then the only thing I'm putting in as text is just the number of characters. So now we have a span that just contains a number and nothing else. So it isn't going to say the number of characters in this paragraph is. Right. So the next thing I do is I make a new variable we've never used before, var dollar icon, which okay. is, again, a name of my choosing, equals dollar, and then the string angle bracket img space slash angle bracket. So in other words, make me an image, and then I say dot atter src, comma, count icon url, dot atter alt, character count, dot atter title, character count. So I just I want to say built... character counts every time you say that. Um, count, yeah. <laughs> count icon URL. Wait, where did that come from? It's the variable that we defined on line one there, the giant big horrible. Oh, there it is. And it was covered up, up by the little gray bar that pops up when I hover over the, the yeah. window. Okay. By far the best plugin I found, but it's not perfect. <laughs> okay, so now what we want to do is we want to shove that icon into the front of our span we've just created so that we basically see the icon and then the number. So we say $count.prepend $icon. So now it's inside the span, but at the front. So it's ahead of all the text. Well, I say all the text. The text is just a number. Mm -hmm. And then I say $p.append our span, $count. So we have a span with just the numbers. Then we shove the icon in in front of the numbers, and then we take the whole span and shove it in at the back of the paragraph. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why wouldn't prepend have put that icon before the paragraph? Because I didn't call p dollar p dot prepend. I said dollar count dot prepend. Dollar count is the span. How do I know where the span is? Well, because I say var dollar count equals span. The span I don't isn't know where the span is though. Right, it isn't anywhere, but it exists in. It's in limbo. But it still exists, so I can prepend inside the thing no, no, in limbo. No, no, no. Hang on, you can't say that it's going to be before the. You said no, 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 no. Prepend, no, no, no. Before is before. Yet. How can I be wrong? Because <laughs> you said the word before. Prepend means before. It's no, prepend means inside, but first. Inside what? Inside whatever you're calling it on. So dollar count dot prepend means stick it in the front of dollar count, not in front of, in the front. But where's dollar count? It's in limbo, but it doesn't matter, right? Dollar count is a span, which means it has it is a it it, it ha it is a span, so it, there is a front. 
Right? It's in the front seat, not in front of the front bumper, if you think of it as a car. Okay, but <laughs> you said span was just a CSS thing. So I don't know where it's it is. It's an HTML element, right? It's still an HTML element. It's one of those elements like div that doesn't look like anything unless you style it, but it's still an element. It's an inline element that does nothing. It's just used for grouping stuff. So is the word span an HTML element? Is that sitting in your text somewhere? No, it's sitting in limbo because we haven't yet shoved it into the DOM. So it's in limbo, right? So think about it this way. The paragraph exists and is real. We have created in limbo a span, which doesn't, it's not on the page. It's just floating in, it's in the our fourth hand. dimension. Okay. It's in our hand. It's in the fourth dimension. It's in hyperspace. Okay. Whatever analogy you want to use for not on the page yet. Okay. So we have it in our hand and we have put some numbers into this span. And then in our other hand, we've created an icon that's also not in the page yet. And we've shoved that icon into the front of the span. Yes. So it's inside the span, but before the number. So now in our hand, we have the span, which contains an icon and some text. Yes. And then we take all of that and shove it into the back of our paragraph. Where? $p.append means shove it in the back of $p. So line nine shoves it in. No, so in line nine, this. it finally goes into the page. Not buying it. Okay. Let me, let me okay. No, I'm, I'm sure you're right. I just, I can't see it yet. Let me try to say it. So mm -hmm. you've said you've created a variable, which is number of characters, uh, p.text.length. Great. Then yes. we create another variable called dollar $count. And in there, we make this fictional span thing. And we, uh, we add to that a class, uh, which is, uh, defined over in our CSS later. And the next thing is the, the text, the number of characters. So the count is the number of characters made pretty. Yeah. Yes. But in the span, is it already in the span? Yes. 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 It is a span which contains the text num characters. Okay. And so the then class. we take an icon, mm -hmm. uh, and or we, we define it. We make an icon using the image tag and the attribute source and this count icon URL, giant glop of, of glop. glop. <laughs> and we give it uh, some attributes and a title and, and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Then we take the count, which was our span, mm -hmm. and we prepend the icon at the beginning of count. Yes. And the p.append means take the count and put it at the end of the p. Got it. Yes. There we go. Yeah. So we have a prepend and an that part. <laughs> Yeah. But no, you got to watch along, right? And this kind of stuff is second nature to me because I'm constantly prepending and appending and beforing and aftering and all that kind of stuff. See, prepend and append make a bunch of sense. It was prepending the into the count with the icon and then taking the paragraph and appending the count. Got yeah. it. Yeah, it's they're building a little Lego set in your head and then eventually it goes into the page. Yeah, I still don't believe in spam, but OK, got it. I'm with you. OK, let me guess. We so, call it with an anonymous function that loads when the DOM loads. Exactly. So again, tbs23c.html will show this in action. And lo and behold, we now have a cute little icon next to our numbers. Yep. Little and hash. I didn't have to give you an image file. That's I just crazy. stuck it in that variable. That's crazy. So you could, it is crazy, isn't it? That there's an image sitting there in a URL. Is there a defined number of characters in the glop of that uh, URL thing? It is whatever number of characters are needed for whatever size of image. So this works fine with little icons. This would not work well with a wallpaper. 
Okay, that's what I was going to say. I was going to try it on one of my, uh, uh, just a regular image. It would be a huge number of characters? Yes, it would. Basically, whatever amount of, I can't remember exactly, base 64 has 64 possibilities for every one character. So So divide the size of the file by 64 bits, and that's how much characters you'll need. Hmm. So every character in a base 64 is represents 64 bits. So a 16 megabyte raw file, probably not a good idea to do here. That's a lot of bits. <laughs> a lot of bits. Okay. Okay, so but again, it's perfect for little icons, like you'll see here. It's very useful for that. Okay, well, we're doing pretty well here. So we've now learned how to loop through all of our paragraphs. We've learned how to create elements out of nowhere and shove them in. We've learned how to save images as glop. So we don't have them as a separate file. So that's, I think we're on four out of five. So we're doing pretty well. So now I'm going to introduce you to URI.js. So this is not, I don't want you to think about this as the ultimate guide to URI.js. No, it isn't. This is what we need to know and know more than we need to know. And a link to where you can learn more. Because actually I'd quite like... I'd quite like you to sort of get into the habit of reading API documentation. And URI.js is nicely documented, actually. So I wanted to find a word that you've heard all the time, right? This is the word API. So when you encounter a common problem, don't reinvent the wheel. Go find a solution. But what I say that, I don't mean go to the internet and copy and paste a snippet of code. I mean, go find a well-engineered solution which is code that's been designed to be reused. And if code has been designed to be reused, it will have a well-documented, magic words those, a well-documented list of variables, functions, and or prototypes that will say basically what they are and what they do. So an example would be math.py is a variable that's part of the math API. Math.squirt SQRT is a function that's part of the math API that does the square root. But you can go to the Mozilla web pages or the Microsoft Developer Network and actually read up on what the math API does. And it will tell you all the variables that exist. It will tell you all the functions that exist. It will tell you what they do, what arguments they expect, and what values they return. So that together, that well-documented list of functions variables and prototypes, that is an API or an application programming interface. Because the reason it's called an interface is because in order to use it, you only need to know the names of the functions and what they do. You don't need to know anything about how they work on the inside. So it's an interface. It's your way of interacting with their code. So they basically say, my code provides these variables, functions, and prototypes. Here's how you use them. And that's all you should ever need to know about someone else's code. Okay. And if so you don't you, find that kind of documentation, you don't take that one. As a general rule, if you would like stress, pain, and lots of unpleasantness, get an API that's poorly documented. Because <laughs> then what you have to do is read their code and right. figure out how it works. Find the function that looks like it does what you want, read the code to make sure it actually does what you think it does, and then start looking at how it works to figure out what arguments it's expecting and what they should be for. And there's sort of levels of this, so... Poorly documented, but with good variable names is tolerable because at least you can read the name of the function and figure out what it does and read the names of the arguments and figure out what they might be. But a poorly named, poorly documented API is enough to drive you demented, I think. 
<laughs> I think Alistair alluded to that last week. You know, a, a poorly documented API is horrific to work with. So having said all that, the link is in the show notes to the URI.js webpage. So let's go have a look at that. Let's see what we see. So you'll see there, there's a very nice to see tab, third one over, API documentation. So why don't we go to that tab? So Am I following along? Okay. Uh, API documentation. All right. Yeah, and actually, another nice thing they do is they actually describe how a URI works. So understanding URIs is interesting. So if you're actually curious about the theory of all the different possibilities. What does the I stand for? A universal, a universal resource indicator, indicator, I think. Okay. And a URI can be a URL or a URN. A URL is a unified resource locator, and a URN is a unified resource name. Hmm. Okay. If memory serves. Uh, anyway, if you're curious as to how they're built up, you can see that, you know, so a URL contains an origin and an authority, a host, a host name, a port, a path, a segment, a query, a fragment, a resource, a suffix, a file name, a directory, a TLD, a domain, a okay. subdomain. Okay. And a scheme, right? But you can see. So he actually has it diagrammed out. So you can actually see this horrible URL contains all of these things. So if you're ever, con if I'm ever confused about what part of a URL is being described, so in his documentation, when he talks about accessing the fragment, well, you go to this diagram and go, oh, the bit after the pound sign. When he talks about the query, it's the bit between the question mark and the pound sign, right? So you can see how this is really good that he has actually documented this bit. Okay. Do we know this is because a he? 90% sure I know that, but I don't remember how. And okay. if I'm wrong, I'm going to look like a very sexist idiot. <laughs> okay, just check it. Okay, so API documentation. We don't have too much time left, unfortunately. Okay, well, as I say, that, that, so the point being, it right, so there is a list of all the functions there. So if you want to see how to get the port number, there's a function called port. You click on it, and it will show you how to use it with examples. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. So URI.port will give you back the port. You pass it an argument, it will set the port, right? So that's what I mean by that is an API, right? Here's a list of how, what you do, and anyone you click on, it will show you how. Wow. And that's what you want as a programmer, right? Show me how, and then you'd be happy. And it's not even so, ugly. It's not even ugly. <laughs> it's, so, it's pleasing to look at, to try to understand, yeah. I agree. So what we need to be able to do to be able to do our homework is we need to be able to create a URL, a URI object to represent the URL of the current page. So we do that by saying var URI object equals new URI with no arguments whatsoever. And that will give us a URI object that represents the current URL. So in our case, we want to see if the link goes to the same domain as the current URL. So Sir, that's you went really fast through that. Var URI object equals new URI. And you're saying URI is... Uh will give us the current URL? Yes, a new URI with no arguments will give us the current URL into the object that you name anything you like. So var, some name of your choosing, equals new URI. Can I ask a dumb question? How did we get URI.js into this web page we're working on? Uh, you will see, I have included it in the zip file, and you will see in the, in the sample page I'm giving you to start the assignment with, it actually says at the top, script type equals blah, SRC equals contrib slash URI 1.18.1.js. So use that. Use this example with the contrib folder there uh, in the same folder. Yes. Got it. Okay. Yes. All right. Exactly. So that's a relative URL there. Yeah. The other thing we need to be able to do is to get the URL of a link. 
that's in our page. So if we have a jQuery object that represents a link, let's say it's called $A, we would say $A.URI, and then we get back our object. Because the nice thing is that the URI.js integrates with jQuery. It knows how jQuery works and actually attaches itself into jQuery. So you can say dollar, you know, whatever your jQuery thing is .URI, and it will pull out the URL, which is really useful. Wait, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> what? Var URI okay. object equals $A.URI. I don't know what it does. Okay. So let's say that you have saved $A to be a jQuery object representing a URL or a link tag somewhere on your page, an A tag somewhere on your page. Oh, we've already so defined you, that somewhere else. Yeah, so I say we oh, can create a URI okay. from a jQuery object representing a link that we've named a $A. So we're, we have some sort of jQuery thing that is a link, and we want to pull out the URI. We can do that with $A.URI. Okay, Another important the same thing. A that's like an AHREF type A? Oh, well, ultimately it needs, in other words, to get the URL out, it should represent an AHREF tag, yeah. Otherwise you get okay. an error when you try to pull okay, the URI so out. It is the same. I'm just trying to figure out, is it the same A or did you just define a new variable somewhere? I defined the variable that I named A, but whatever you call it, you could call it buggers, but what it should... B is a jQuery object that represents an A tag. Okay, but it's you haven't done it in front of me here. It was done. I have not. I okay, have said good. assume okay. it exists. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Um, something else we need to figure out, right? So if you, we've already seen here in a little bit of example that I have included the URI.js library using a relative link. So every link that's relative stays within your site. That's what it means to be a relative link. It's relative to the current page. So therefore, all relative links are not links to external sites. So we actually need to be able to detect that to do our homework. So there is a function called is that's part of URI.js that accepts as an argument basically a string, which can be all sorts of things. But one of the things it can be is the word relative. So you can say URI object that is relative and it will tell you whether that URI is relative or not. Yeah. Which is something we need to know. The last thing we need to know is what bloody domain name does this link represent? Because if, if it's not relative, we have to check that its domain is the same as our domain. And the way we get the domain part of a URL is with the function hostname. So whatever the URL.hostname will give us the podfeet.com bit or the bartb.ie bit, whatever, whatever you know, is appropriate. So that's all we actually need to know about URI.js. That's why we need to know the last one. If we already know it's relative, why do we need to know it's podfeet.com? No, it's for the opposite. When we know it's not relative, then we have to check. If it's relative, our work is done. But what if it's not relative? So the link... Oh, so, so I might have put in a hard link to podfeet.com slash Amazon... Right. And that's exactly. Still, that is still a an internal link. Got you. Okay. Correct. Okay. Yes. So then we have to compare the domains to figure out that it is internal. Okay. So that's why we need to be able to get the domain part out. So we're very low on time, aren't we? So there is an example here that does fifty percent of the homework already. What it does is it lo it loops through every a tag in the page, and it creates a URI of. So we say. Do we have time to go through this, Allison, or how quick do you want me to be? Yeah. Um, it's 23d.html, so people can read along themselves. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm at uh, 55. Uh, take, uh, take four more minutes. <laughs> Roger. Okay. So this function 
mark external links is what this function is called, and that's what it's going to do. So we start off and we create a jQuery object representing all links. Var $links equals $A. In other words, our CSS selector is A, which is every A tag on the page, please, and shove the result into $Links. So we now have all the links. Okay. We also want to get a copy of the current page's URL. So we say var page URI equals new URI. So we're creating a URI object representing the URL of the current page. Okay. Then we loop through every single link using the each function. So we say $Links.each, and then inside the anonymous function, we say var $A equals $This. Again, I like to take the $This and save it into a meaningful variable. Okay. So then we've got to get the URL for that exact link that we're checking now. So we say var AURI equals $A.URI. So we've got a big table full of links. Uh, we're doing var dollar links, but we're gonna we're gonna go inside of that and say, okay, for each one, I need to know what its URL is. Correct. So for okay. each one, we run this anonymous function once for each link. Okay. So then we got to check is it relative or not. So if a URI dot is relative, return. There's nothing to be done. We don't need to mark it as an external link because it's internal, so we're finished. However, if that's not true, then we have to do a check. So we check if the domain the domains match, if not, definitely external. So we say if page URI.hostname not equal to a URI.hostname, a.add class external. Wait, how did it know what my that it was podfeed.com where we were? Oh, because that's that's so far page, page URI, URI figures out. Yeah. If page URI knows where we are, knows we're on podfeed.com or we're on bartb.ie. Exactly. Or on localhost in the case of our examples here. Ah, and dot, uh, a URI dot hostname is where that, that URL is. Correct. So, we're so saying if those if two the are. The hostname is not the same. Uh, the local hostname is not the same as what the link is. Then we want to do something. Yes. And in this case, we're just giving it the CSS class external. And if you look at 23d.html, you'll see that external links are marked in red and all other links are marked in green. And we call that function in the in the um, uh, the, the DOM becomes ready handler. So we say dollar mark external links. Okay. So that look, you haven't done everything for us. You've just showed us how to find them and how to mark them a certain color. Yep. So now I want to using that as your starting point. So that is basically PBS twenty three D is the starting point for your assignment. What I'd like you to do then is so for every link that's external. Set its target to blank, its rel to no opener, and then shove in a little icon. And I've already given you the icon in a variable name. So var new window icon URL equals, and it's a horrible big data URL. So I've already copied and pasted it in there. Oh. So that is waiting for you in the file pbs3assignment.html. And then a giant big comment that says, your code here. <laughs> this sounds like we, I could do this, Bart. I think so. I think so. And so that's basically set us up for a nice meaty assignment. And then next time, what I'm going to teach, next time we're actually taking on another real project. We're going to do your clock next time. <gasps> Yay! And we actually already have almost all of the skills we need to do your clock. Well, the bit we're missing is how to write our code in such a way that it's easy to reuse. In other words, we're going to write an API. <gasps> we're going to write a clock so, for the for the masses? 
we're going to write our clock in such a way that anyone can use it and you, and it can be released as an open source project to help other people. Oh, no, that's awesome. The clock he's talking about is the clock that tells you what time it is at my house for the live show. Yep. So what we're going to write is a way to have a clock of any time zone of your choosing in your web page. That's cool. And you're going to choose UTC plus eight or whatever you are. I think you're plus eight. I don't know. LA time, whatever time it is in LA, that's your time zone. <laughs> that's all uh, but anyone can use that me. code. Uh-huh. So we're going to write it in such a way that it, it takes arguments to tell it where in the world to be the clock for. And we're going to document our API so that anyone oh, can use wow. it. Oh, I love and it. We're going to package it up. I love it. I love it. This is very cool. I hate to give you the bun rush, but I'm going to have to do that. Uh, this has been fantastic. I think I can do this assignment too. Well, well I'll hold you to that. And uh, as I say, you, you have my number should, should you run into trouble. <laughs> I might just do that. All right. Thanks, Bart. We're going to get going. Okie dokie. Until next time. Happy computing. After Bart and I got done doing our recordings, I did a couple of checkings on some things that I said during the show. I had asked Bart, how do we know whether URI.js is actually a man or do we know? And he was a little worried he might be a sexist there and it being Ada Lovelace week and all. He didn't want to be that. So I looked it up and indeed the author of URI.js is Rodney Rem. The second thing was you might have heard me uh, kind of being confused about the, the character count on the first example, on example A. And that happened because I was opening up a, a text editor and I was changing the number of characters and the number of character changes didn't match up with what it should have been. So I'd add four characters. It wouldn't add four to the count. So Bart and I got a, on a Skype call together and we tried to figure out what was going on because it wasn't happening for him. I did a fresh install of the files from his website. I opened it up in Safari so we could see how many characters it was. I think it was 1704 to start with. And then I opened it up in the Atom text editor. When I added four digits, it should have gone to 1708, but it did not. I forget what it did. I think it went to, oh, it went to 1702. Now, we finally figured out what was going on. It turns out that Adam was actually cleaning up the file. He had six spaces at the ends of six of the lines. So Adam went in and said, oh, when you saved, you don't really need those. Those are just glop. We should just clean that up for you, which is helpful. And, you know, it didn't hurt anything to have those in there, but it was kind of a good idea to do it. The way we figured this out was by using text edit to open it and got a different behavior. So that's when Bart said, well, wait a minute, it's six, six spaces. Maybe there's six space or six characters. There must be six spaces. So it wasn't as easy to do in text edit as we thought, though. I have a fresh install of Sierra and text edit kept opening the HTML and rendering the HTML for us. So we had to find the settings in text edit to fix that. I think it's under advanced. I forget exactly where it was. The other problem we had that was uh, kind of interesting was he suggested that I just unzip the zip file again that I downloaded from his website. And that's when I realized I didn't get a zip file. I got a folder and I realized, oh my gosh, that must mean that Apple in the Safari preferences still has checked to this day, open quote unquote safe files after downloading. Now, how on earth it knew that this was Bart stuff and it was safe, I don't know. But if you have a fresh install of uh, Sierra or any of the Mac operating systems, please go into Safari preferences, general, and at the very bottom, uncheck the box that says open safe files after downloading. Please do it for your safety and security. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. We are now supported by Patreon. So if you go over to podfeet.com slash Patreon, you can pledge your support to the show in weekly installments. 
If you don't have money to spare, I understand that. And it would be great if you used our Amazon affiliate links when you buy things on Amazon anyway, and a little bit of money goes to help the show. I love feedback, so please send me email at allison at podfeed.com. And you can join in our Facebook group over at podfeed.com slash Facebook and our community at podfeed.com slash Google+. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed. 